1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
3: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
4: Welcome to Spark London.
3: We tell true stories.
4: We tell them live. And we tell them all across London.
3: To attend one of our live shows, go to sparklondon.com.
4: lovely to see everybody good welcome to spark london i'm charlie harrison your host for those that don't know spark is a true storytelling night that happens all across london so we have live open mics that happen in hackney and in brixton and then we have a curated night here in warwick avenue and i am so super excited about the acts tonight i'm not supposed to have favorites but between you and me (laughs) this one's one of my favourites so far. I, I sometimes go for walks around here just before I do this show, because it's really nice around the canal around here. I go for a walk along the canal. And uh, they, I, I was doing this last week, and there was this man with dreads, and he started talking to me. He said, Do you want a cup of tea? He lived on one of the boats. The bo- people live on the boats just, just down there. And uh, like they sell things as well. I said, I'll have a cup of tea. And I met his wife, and we sat down. It's really, really lovely. This really sort of surreal experience. But she, we started talking about animals good subject to talk about. I always think animals. We started talking about animals. And anyway, the wife of this guy just down, down there said um, as a Muslim uh, we like to do really charitable things, right? So we like to sort of give to charity. That's part of the faith. And it's really hard these days to give to charities because a lot of them are big and they have lots of admin etc. So what I do is I buy things from the pet shop and then I release them into the wild. LAUGHTER like, no joke. And then she told me about all these sort of, like, buying um, koi carp and stuff and then putting them and just releasing them in around the boat and birds and stuff. And I, can't, I still can't work out whether that's, like, a really, like, pure, beautiful thing to do or just, like... In, imagine if loads of people are doing it and it's, like, <laughs> increasing demand for captive pets to then be released and probably perish in England, like... Crazy, but go and meet them. I mean, they only live down there, very interesting. So, I'm going to introduce our first act. Uh, we've got some fantastic storytellers. Some of them have spoken our open mics before, some of them haven't, um, but you're very much in for a good show. Are you excited? Yes. Yes. yes, please put your hands together, stamp your feet if you want. Bring on to the stage Tony, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
3: Good evening, culture fans. Good evening, the audience. and uh, Good evening to the to the people that didn't want to push the boat out and pay seven quid for a ticket who are listening by podcast. You, you're tight people. Anyway, uh, it was must have been about... It was definitely... It was 1996, and I was living in this lovely little hamlet in South London called Catford. I don't know if anybody knows it. You're familiar with it. My girlfriend at the time, for some bizarre reason decided she didn't want to go out with me anymore and that she was going to move 300 miles away and live in Newcastle. Now, that's where I'm from, Newcastle. I don't know if you've got the accent. It's something that just gives it away, doesn't it? So I, I was confused, obviously. Shocked and hurt as well. And then after I got over it, I thought, what can I do with me life? I was 27. I just thought, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll join the circus because that seems like a really good idea. And I thought, I'm getting on a bit because 27 is a bit old to be joining the circus, to be honest. So I thought, I'd better hurry the fuck up and join the circus. I joined Zippo's Academy of Circus Arts, a fine establishment. Uh, I trained to be a trapeze artist, a knife thrower and a fire eater. I did a bit of juggling, but I was shit. And I did, like, some shite, man. And then (laughs) after touring round for six months, I got a bit bored with it. And uh, one of the clowns called Tommy... He was a bit of a twat, and he didn't like me. He was always trying to start arguments. One day, I, c- I can't remember what happened, but I tried to run him over. And uh, <laughs> he went running. To, it, w- it wasn't in a clown car, neither. It was in a Ford Escort fan. <laughs> he he went running to tell the boss, and he said, oh, Sip, sip the clown. He said, oh, Tony's, Tony's just trying to kill me again. And <laughs> Sippo, oh, he said, oh, well, I'll, I'll, you'll have to leave. And actually, it was quite good, because I got sacked. I said, oh, Really? You're giving us the sack. I can go now. And it was the best thing that ever happened. So I thought, oh, then I was bored. And then the th- strange thing about boredom made you do really strange, crazy shit. So I went and joined another circus. And <laughs> in hindsight, was probably the wrong thing to do. <laughs> and uh, one of the things about being in the circus is, if you fall out with people, like your caravans here... And like, their caravan's there, so you're like really close to them, so if, if you manage to piss people off, like, I had this talent for doing it when I was younger, then it, it's a, a really bad idea to be like living next door to somebody like that. In this circus, the boss was called Cosmo, Cosmo, he was a clown, Cosmo the Clown, Joe Fool was the other clown. Now, first of all, I fell out with, with Joe, I can't, no, I wasn't Joe. But luckily, he was a bit... He didn't like speaking to people, so I fell out with him, but I didn't know because he didn't speak to people. <laughs> so it was quite good. It was a while before I found out. But Cosmo was quite vocal. And uh, one day came, he came to me after the show, and he went, you act shit. Went, what do you mean, like?" He went, y- that shit mime act you do, it's shit. And he went, you can't, you can't do mime. I'm like, what do you mean I can't do mime? I've got a certificate. <laughs> Which that's not true, I just made that up but it sounded, he, was, he was like, oh, you got a certificate and then <laughs> I, I sort of bullshitted a bit but anyway, he was adamant that me, me act was shit and I was doing some other acts in the circus and one of which was uh, I used to lie on a bed of swords and then s- somebody would come out with a bed of nails and it gets better and then they'd put the nails on my chest and somebody would stand on it and uh, to people that don't know, it looks quite impressive it didn't, didn't really impress me, to be honest but one night... Cosmo, was the assistant, and he, he'd become a bit bored with me for the shite my act. He, got, he called this this young boy out the audience. He said, oh, come, <laughs> come and stand on Tony, the, uh, I can't remember what my stage name was then, and uh, this little kid stood on me chest. Normally, that's where the act would end. you go like, eh, stand, eh, round of applause and all that sort of shite. And then Cosmo had the microphone one night and he started talking to this kid. He was saying, so, um." Where you're from and I'm I'm lying on the floor saying, Hey, you remember me, you know? And then the kid was saying, oh, oh, I've come from Norwich. Oh, Norwich, is anybody else here from Norwich? And he went into this big this this big rigmarole and turns out that it was the boy's birthday and he went oh, hold hold on a minute, stay Then he left he went, he went off, went into his caravan and he came back about five minutes later with a balloon model and went, Oh, here's your birthday, Here's here's a fucking giraffe. He didn't say that. <laughs> giraffe. And then eventually he let it he, the boy got off and i was like covered with like pinholes and i'm like afterwards i said look cosmo you're taking the piss and he said, like, oh oh you didn't want to spoil the boy's birthday did you and seems so was try to blame me eh? and then i thought all right we'll leave it next night we were in there uh, park in norwich same routine i just thought oh, come on get a little kid from the front row he went oh you sir you sir up at the back and i was like looking because i couldn't see for the lights and then interview came, it was like the world's it was like the world's fattest man and I was like I was like squinting, I was like is this a joke or something and this guy I, I, I don't want to be rude or anything because I'm putting a bit of weight on myself, he was like a fucking bin liner full of tits And he and he just he just rolled he just rolled down the aisle pushing pushing small children and people out of the way and I'm like and I was shaking my head at Cosmo, I'm like, "You're taking a wrong piss. You can't get him to stand on me." <laughs> so anyway, the bloke came up, and he put one foot on my chest, and it was, you know, that sound an accordion makes when you— <laughs> that's what my chest did. I was like, I was wheezing. I was like, trying to smile, going, oh, "Look at me." He put one foot, and then he put the next one on. I could, I, thought, I thought, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die on stage, and nobody's going nobody's gonna notice. I'm gonna be like a fucking nail sandwich, and then. The big fat guy, been like a of tits, got on and Cosmo did the same routine Oh you're from Norwich, are oh, you here with your mates? Oh you're on a stag party, you know, fucking get off. And then eventually he got off and then I chased him out and I couldn't find him. He went and hid in his caravan, I was banging on his caravan I was like, come out you And so I had a big argument, I went that, that's it, I'm leaving. So I left. And then on the way home, Joe Fool phoned us up and begged us to come back to the circus and for some strange reason. Boredom makes you do stupid things. I fucking went back <laughs> and he went, Oh, we'll, we'll give you like, another trial. I'm like, Really? Anyway, it all went terribly wrong the next night. It was the last night in Erland Park, 200 people in the audience. And the worst thing is, some people from another circus had come to see our show because they heard about my fantastic mime act and they wanted to have a look, <laughs> probably trying to steal ideas. But anyway, one of the people in the audience was another knife thrower, so I thought, oh, see if I can impress them during my knife throwing act it didn't quite work out quite like that um, Joe Fool was standing at the knife board and I threw four knives down one side that's quite easy that was the simple bit I just had four knives left to throw and for some strange reason I of my mind drifted I took the knife and I, you're supposed to step over when you throw knives because it's anyway I, th- I didn't step over and I threw across his body at a 45 degree angle which is what you're not supposed to do and it sort of like glanced off his arm a bit I didn't glance at it, hit him quite violently, and his whole body shook. <laughs> and the audience went really quiet. And then I turned around and went... <laughs> and I did that for quite a while, and they weren't going for it. And I still had three knives in my hand left to throw, so I had to do them. And I sort of skulked off. And then um, afterwards, I thought, I'll, I'll say sorry to Joe. And I went to look for him, he disappeared. And somebody said, oh, haven't you heard? He's been taken to hospital because what had happened was the knives sort of cut through his jacket and his t-shirt and sort of like m- missed his artery a bit used a bit of blood and some stitches and stuff but but to be honest though Joe was the sort of it was good for the circus because we've got a p- sort of publicity people heard about in that but to be honest Joe was the sort of person that he loves all that little bit of a drama he loves to be the hero so I was doing him a favour by stabbing him because <laughs> when he went to hospital right he, he can't have been that bad he went in his full costume and he didn't take his big clown shows off, and they put they put him on a, a little wheelchair and they pushed him in with his big clown shows. And to be honest, that's not the action of somebody who, who was at death's door. So, uh, yeah, I stayed with them for a, for a few more months and then just went back to London and that. So uh, that's the end of the story. I suppose the moral is uh, boredom makes you do stupid things. Don't join the circus. Stab clowns or. <laughs> Make your own fireworks. <laughs> Thanks very much ladies and gentlemen.
4: Fantastic. So the night is not just about storytellers, that are telling stories so brilliantly, and we're going to bring one on in just a moment. The st- uh, night is also about you. Some of you have had forms to fill out, a couple for you here. Share your story. What secret identity have you kept from people? I hid my raucous university lifestyle from my parents and close family. How was it discovered? Some of them saw it on Facebook after my privacy settings changed. (laughs) Who was that? (laughs) Oh, there you are. Oh, there he is. There you go. Very good. What sort of photos were they? Uh, We're talking kind of uh, alcohol, drugs, sex. Oh, alcohol and a woman. Oh, good. Any, any more information on that? Uh, mid-act. Mid-act?
2: <laughs> Hello.
4: Get up on the stage. <laughs> uh, okay, mid-act of, um, of shaking hands? Just shaking hands. Just shaking hands. Very good. Very good. Very nice. Okay, good. Thank you for your contribution. What's your name, sir? I'm Joel. Joel. Round of applause for Joel, ladies and gentlemen, for sharing like how this night always takes on a sort of therapy feel towards the middle bit. We all sort of share with each other. It's very, very lovely. Are you ready for your next storyteller? Okay, I want the applause to come from you, sir. Please welcome to the stage Lauren, ladies and
1: gentlemen. Very exciting. (laughs) I'm going to tell you a story about how I was approached uh, for sex by a complete stranger in the middle of the street, in the middle of the day, <laughs> on Mother's Day, um, <laughs> when <laughs> when I was uh, living in Finsbury Park. And I say living, um, for the last couple of years, I've been kind of uh, sort of living a bit unconventionally, I suppose, um, I, I've been sort of s- sofa surfing a bit, um, Most of my friends, I think, regard me as an irritating sofa cushion rather than a friend (laughs) now, um, (laughs) which is a slightly sad situation. I mean, we also had some very lovely times there and ate a lot of Turkish delight and (laughs) listened to a lot of Lou Reed. Um, But, I mean, you know, the the house was constantly freezing so that I was kind of nearly always dressed almost entirely in green corduroy and... Three jumpers. Um, so I was kind. Of, if you can imagine me at that point in Finsbury Park, um, in in a kind of in snowy weather, particularly. But even in when it wasn't snowing, I was always sort of you know head to toe green corduroy and, and jumpers, all of the jumpers, and um, no jumpers for anyone else. And uh, kind of selfish of me, actually, really. Um, you know, I would be sort of going back and forth from this house with an enormous rucksack on my back as well, full of Turkish delight, and. Um, And and jumpers. There was a point when I I was um, uh, sort of walking back from Manor House Station and a lot of people, strangers approached me quite a lot. Um, to tell me things apparently I have quite a receptive face for that kind of thing Um, and I've kind of gotten used to it so when this guy sort of started walking in step with me along beside Finsbury Park I thought okay I'll just brace myself (laughs) Um, because I knew that he was going to talk to me and he'd probably confess something so he he was walking perfectly in step with me in Finsbury, I I don't know why this is just a visual aid for you here I'm just walking on the spot in order to help you visualise walking in case you don't know what that looks like looks like, um, but <laughs> he, he was walking in step with me, and, uh, and eventually he said, can I ask you a funny question, I said, yeah, of course, yeah, that's fine, ask me a funny, oh, everyone always does, even if I tried to stop you, I probably couldn't, um, so he said, are you single, uh, I was just like, Jesus, look at me, I'm dressed head to toe in green corduroy and jumpers, obviously, I'm yes, I am, um, and I laughed a lot, and then I said, yeah, I am. Um, And and then he was, like, sort of winding himself up and he was like, yeah, 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 okay. uh, can I ask you another funny question? And I was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, we're in this now together. (laughs) Um, And he says to me, I'm just going to do it, I'm just going to do it, I'm just going to ask you. And he didn't just ask me, he sort of prevaricated and said, I've been looking for fun friends on Facebook. Um, I was like, what does this mean? I've been looking for fun friends on Facebook, and I was kind of by that point just being like, Okay, what are you getting at here, man? And he was like, Okay, okay, I'm just gonna ask you, I'm just gonna ask you. And then he goes, I'm looking for a regular sex partner. Is that the kind of thing that you would be interested in? (laughs) (laughs) And it is, but if you can picture this, so I was sort of. Green corduroy, rucksack full of Turkish delight. He was sort of, I don't know, 15 years older than me, sort of just a kind of slightly innocuous-looking man. Uh, Not that I think that age should be a barrier to what can loosely be described as love, but I... (laughs) (laughs) It just, he just wasn't the kind of person I thought would approach me, but then I should have, should have predicted it, really. And I just laughed in his face. I just laughed in his face, which it probably was unkind of me, but oh, it was Mother's Day, come on. And... Um, <laughs> And then stopped at a bus stop under the sort of loose pretense that I was going to get some kind of bus out of the situation. <laughs> and I just said, I'm, so- I'm sorry. No- in fact, I think I called him pal. I think I just went, oh, sorry, pal. Uh, Thank <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> and then he sort of very cheerfully went, oh, all right, then. I'll oh, see you later. And carried on walking down the road. Obviously, I couldn't carry on walking. But I sat in the bus stop and just laughed hysterically by myself for like (laughs) 10 minutes straight. Part of the amazing thing as well, why I was laughing hysterically, was because I had to then do the phone call to my mum, the Mother's Day phone call of like, Hi mum, I'm in London, sorry I can't be there for Mother's Day, but like, hope you're feeling motherly and really lovely and stuff. But the whole conversation with her, I was just desperate to tell her about it. So I was kind of having this weird, sort of stunted conversation of like, Hi mum, I really love you definitely nothing funny has happened to me in the last half an hour Um, and I was just like yep definitely love you loads can I talk to dad and just (laughs) tell my dad instead Um, (laughs) and yeah so I at a point when I I don't know I was having a bit of a strange time and maybe not laughing that much I remember that incident fondly as a time when I laughed an enormous amount thank you very much
4: So mistaken identity is the thing that we've been talking about tonight. I just want to tell you something that happened to me involving mistaken identity. Doesn't make me look good, but I'll tell you. Um I've got a bit of a scammy head. Um I don't know if you sort of know what I mean by that, but I like to like work out the scam for things, like work my way around things. When I didn't have as much money as I do now, when I was a student, I discovered this little one-person Ponzi scheme uh, that I invented myself (laughs) with getting your hair done. So I don't know if you've ever had one of these uh, uh, leaflets, they're like recommend a friend. Have you seen those? Recommend a friend and your friend gets half price and you go back to the hairdresser then you get half price, right? A well-known hair establishment I was doing this for because I don't have that many friends and I'm also got a very scammy head, I decided that I would go to different chains of this well-known hairdressers, and turn up to the second one, and say, "Hi, I'm Charlie Harrison's friend, Beck Stevens, <laughs> and she's recommended me to the to the store. Um, so I get half price, and then bonus, Charlie Harrison gets half price, right? So that's like two half prices just from one event. So I was doing this, doing quite well out of it. Uh, half price hair, don't judge me." And I went to Comic Garden one day, went to do it, I said, Hi, I'm Beck Stevens, Charlie Harrison's friend. You know, it's going on and on, with all these different names. And um, I was a bit distracted. I sat down in the chair and she comes over with this form and I'm filling it out Beck Stevens, I know what I'm doing. I was thinking about other things. And so she's a wild hairdresser. She comes over, she goes, oh, Hi, I'm Tracy, I'm going to cut your hair today. I said, Hi, I'm Charlie.
3: <laughs>
4: Both of us look down <laughs> at the paper where I've written. Bex Stevens <laughs> Now, I don't know what you would do in this situation, sort of like, what's the instant lie you think of here? My it's my nickname. That's a good, good answer. That's a good answer. That's a sensible person's answer. The only two things I could think of in this situation were, um, I'm in a play, <laughs> and I'm playing someone called Beck Stevens, and I've got really into it, right? So I thought, don't do that. That's a bit weird. So I literally looked her in the eye, looked her in the mirror in the eye there, and said, "I'm in the process of changing my identity." <laughs> and then, of course, you have an hour with someone doing your hair. <laughs> After saying that, it was all oh, she knew. It was awful. You know, you want to be like, oh, can you just make me look as different as possible? Shave it off, you know. Uh, so that's my story of mistaken identity. It's your last storyteller. Oh no, yeah, no, bad and good, but he's he's really, really amazing, really, really excited to introduce him. So,
1: welcome to the stage, your final act of the evening, Tama, ladies and gentlemen.
0: I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I live here now, and I was raised... Uh, by a really macho guy. My dad was in the war in, in Vietnam. He had post-traumatic stress disorder and a drinking problem, and all these things before you were allowed to talk about it, right? So I was raised at a time when uh, boys don't, not only do we not cry, we don't talk about stuff either. You just keep quiet, you keep smiling. You be the rock, and everybody else can be crazy, but you're the guy that keeps everything together, right? Like, I'm sure some of you guys can relate to that a little bit, especially especially my ethnic brethren that are in the room, right? So just to make this, way worse let me explain how i how i ended up looking like this right uh i have a muslim father and a jewish mother which freaks people out right it freaks me out too it freaks out religious people even because according to religion if your mom's a jew you're a jew but according to islam if your dad's a muslim you're a muslim what am i imaginary storytellers what am i So I've always had a a problem with my identity, and then to make things worse, we immigrated from Egypt to Brooklyn when I was eight years old, which is horrific. If you've ever been eight and been upset by, like, not having dessert, imagine moving to Brooklyn. (laughs) Exponentially worse. So uh, I I grew up in a weird household, uh, and... I was thinking about doing this night tonight, and I did this writing exercise for this class that I had, and they told me just to quickly write how you were raised, right? And it's a short little thing. I have a lot of respect for the the written word versus the spoken, so I'm not going to, I'm just going to read it to you real quick. Forgive me. I know that's obnoxious a little bit, like you guys are a bunch of sleeping babies. And I'm like, let me, especially with my accent, right? Everybody else sounds so educated. I'm like, me from America, right? Like, all right, so. This is how I was raised. uh, Describes how I was raised. And then I'll get into the rest of this. Uh, I was raised in the middle of two extremes. My family's definition of warmth was a head in the oven and feet in the freezer. (laughs) And what I mean by that is that my mom overloved me and my dad overdisciplined me. Um, Each thinking that they were secretly correcting the other's mistake. (laughs) I'm sure you guys can relate to some of this. But um, raising... How you raise your child proved to be so intimate a conversation that even people who shared a kid wouldn't dare have it, right? Um, So I became a product of miscommunication. Uh, Sometimes I felt like an antique axe, right? Like my mom would treasure me like this valuable antique. Uh, She would show love, pride, and affection towards me even when other people didn't. It was as if she was this collector of art who knew these things and laughed at the ignorance of those who didn't know the value of this priceless item, right? But not my dad. My dad was like, the only good axe is one that works, <laughs> right? He wanted, he wanted an axe that he could slam into tough situations and have it tear chunks out. The less tough the axe seemed, the harder he'd swing. And he did actually see what my mom saw, but he didn't care to treat a tool like an antique, right? Because if he did, then his relationship would have to change with it, right? So he kept me at his level, a simple tool being held by a simple gardener, all right? And that's kind of like, that's, that's like my whole life in a, in a nutshell. And then I started doing comedy, and this weird thing happened. Uh, I started talking about the stuff that they told me not to talk about all my life, and I thought... Uh, Hey, I had a shitty dad, and that's okay, and that's just the way that it is. But what happened with comedy is, because it is sort of a cathartic process, As I started saying really creepy things on stage. (laughs) Things that I thought were hysterical. You know? Things like, oh, my teachers could tell I was abused, because whenever a kid hit me, I tried to hug him. (laughs) It made people uncomfortable, thank you. (laughs) Maybe my dad wasn't abusive. Maybe he was just really shitty at giving high fives. You know, like, things like that that are making you uncomfortable now. It was... But what happened was I started talking about the things I wasn't supposed to talk about. And it, and it changed me. And it changed, oddly, the shittiest part of this is that my dad died 10 years ago. He died of cancer. And right when the cancer started, we finally started getting close. And we started speaking to each other and having a real relationship. But because cancer and stress are such close cousins, I didn't want to have the conversation with him about my childhood or the abuse or the drinking or any of that stuff. Or, hey, why punch a kid with his own toys? That's not nice. Right? It made me just ask for soft toys. You should have seen my Christmas wish list. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was like, spongy toy, pillows, teddy bears with no eyes. Like, <laughs> like please, Dad. So I started talking about, about this in comedy after he died. Because I couldn't do it when he was alive. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want the cancer to come faster. So I started doing stand-up, and I started talking about it in stand-up, and I started to feel better. You know, like, I started started to think that my dad wasn't such a bad guy. He was just raised in a shitty time, and he had shitty things happen to him. And that's how he became that way. So I started thinking, like, my dad was just a normal guy, and a vampire bit him. And he became a vampire, but like an old-school one. Right, and then he bit me, and now I'm like a vampire on Twilight, (laughs) where I'm like I can have a girlfriend without eating her. Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I'm working on it. I'm trying to be. (laughs) I'm trying to be a better person, but (laughs) you know, like it's funny. Like, I look at I look at stuff that's out like on in the social media space right now. Like, you guys are familiar with the Yes, all women hashtag that came out. Well, if you're not, what it is, is there's uh, yet another lunatic in America. Can you believe it, another crazy, shocker. Another guy in America at a school went and terrorized and and murdered a lot of people uh, with a gun. And he made a video, and what he said in the video is that uh, women won't give me the time of day, I feel lonely, college is all about having sex and partying, and because nobody will give me that, I'm gonna go to the hottest sorority house, I'm gonna kill him. And he did, and he killed a bunch of people. And it's, it's really, really sad. It's a, it's a terrible thing that happens, and, and, and it's too fast. that It so quickly turns into this conversation about guns instead of what the issue really is, is that uh, we don't talk. Men don't talk, and women do. And, and that's, that's our greatest weakness. That's our Achilles heel. Like, it, women, you guys have that, have that talk show. Loose women, right? You guys talk to each other. Like, if men had a talk show, it would be called, Shut Up, Bro.
2: <laughs> right?
0: Stop saying sad things. <laughs> makes me really uncomfortable. <laughs> I think of the Yes All Women platform, and, and I, I support it entirely because I don't think of myself as, as a man first, I think of somebody who survived abuse. So I can understand what these women are talking about in this platform, and basically what they're talking about in social media is to remind all of us about the rape culture that's out there. That women are scared. That like It takes a lot for me to get nervous crossing the street. I'm the bad guy in movies, do you know what I mean? <laughs> But anytime a girl leaves my house, I walk her to the car because they can get raped it, it, and it could happen. That's something that they think about all the time. And all it is, is just making men a little bit more aware of it. So if you're on a street and it's late at night and you've got food on your mouth because you're drunk, just cross on the other side, give the lady a break. Do you know what I mean? That's all it is. It's just being aware of what they go through. And I, I have a ton of respect for women. I, I love that you guys talk to each other and, and help each other. I wish we did it more as, as men. And so... Uh, the point of this whole story is that when I started talking about the things I wasn't supposed to talk about, when I started crying, I wasn't allowed to cry as an adult. A weird thing happened in therapy, and I'm going to tell you this because I, I want you to know that I, I'm still an asshole a little bit.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so here's what happened. I went to therapy, and I told this story to my therapist about my dad. And he goes, uh, he goes wow, that's really fucked up. <laughs> And I go, are you supposed to say that? Are you? Like you're right there. Like, that's like a doctor going, oh Jesus. Like that's not that's not that's not what you're supposed to say. That doesn't make me feel good. And he goes, uh, he's all do you think crying is wrong? And I'm like, no. Yes. So he tells me, he's like, I want you to do this exercise. He's like, uh I think crying might help you. Maybe crying is about releasing pain, and if you have these things that you're holding inside you, maybe if you cry a little bit, you know, or allow yourself to be sad. How is that? Every morning, five minutes, allow yourself to be sad. I'm like, I don't like this. So the first three mornings, I didn't do it. Fourth morning, I said, okay, I'll, I'll try it. I allowed myself to be sad. And I cry a little bit, right? <laughs> Second morning, a little bit more. Third morning, I'm driving to work. I start crying in my car. Crying in my car like somebody stabbed me. Do you know what I mean? Like like bawling. And I'm at the stop. I'm at the stoplight. And this sweet woman pulls up next to me. And she sees me. And women are so empathetic. She looks at me and she goes, like, aw. You know, like she felt bad. And I looked at her and I just went, fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm working on it. I'm I'm, (laughs) I'm still an asshole. But what it did for me is is that... my dad's been gone for 10 years, and, and I have a great relationship with him now. You know, like, I really do. I mean that genuinely. I really do, because I understand him better now. I don't blame him anymore. And all of that's been because uh, I get up on stage and I talk about him. And, and when I'm off stage, I'm not, I'm not angry anymore. And that anger being gone just makes you a happier, healthier person. And uh, I'll tell you this last weird thing, is that uh, I have a friend of mine who's going through a divorce right now. She's, she's a stand-up comedian, and she's also a professional chef. So food and comedy are her her big passions. She's going through the divorce, so she wants to write this story now, this book, now when she's in pain. And she asked different people to be different chapters in the book. And the question is, your biggest heartache and your comfort food that goes with it, the thing that makes you feel better. So I went through my romantic Rolodex, and for some reason, I kept going back to my dad. That was my biggest heartache. When I see shows like Modern Family and people golfing together and all that, I'm like, oh, I wish I could have done that with my dad. But I, but I didn't, right? So my biggest heartache was my dad and, because we just didn't have a father-son experience at all. And she goes, what's your biggest comfort food? And all my life, I thought I hated this guy. And I go, medames." A medames is an Egyptian dish, like a really traditional Egyptian dish. And, uh, and I said it, like, without even thinking, just medames right away. And I stopped, and I went, oh, my God. And she goes, what? And I go, that's the only food my dad's ever made. In Egypt, fulmadamas is, is to Egyptians what barbecue is to Australians. It's the one time we're like, women, get out of the kitchen. It's the guy's turn. And so even though, I, I, you know, I, I thought I hated this man, like, my whole life, I really didn't. And it just completely changed my story. It completely changed my life, and it was all just from talking about it. So thanks for letting me talk to you guys about it, and uh, thanks.
4: Tama, ladies and gentlemen. So that brings us to the end of the evening. Just give a final round of applause to all the storytellers tonight. We had Tony Hickson, Lauren Stone, and Tama Katan. And your producer, Matt Hill. Thank you very much. I'll be Charlie Harrison. (laughs) (laughs) Planning for your
2: next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more.